I want to ask you a question as we get started. You know, one of the things, we believe that God can heal people. We believe He can raise the dead. I, I don't think that, that most of us question that. I think the problem we have, the struggle we have, is His timing. I think we wonder, do you have a plan? Is there a plan out there? And, and that's really the issue that, that most of us wrestle with. And that's what we're going to find in the passage we're going to look at uh, this weekend. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 11, and it's on page 18 of your, uh, or 820 of your chair Bible. And it's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, who is one of his friends, good friend, dear friend. And maybe you didn't know that, but uh, Jesus had some close friends when he walked on this earth. He wasn't like off doing his own thing, you know, being God and, you know, with the disciples. Oh, I got to get together with those guys now and, and now I'm going to be off by myself. No, he, he, he had friends. He did meals. He did, he, he walked with a, a number of people. So he was, uh, very well connected. But here's what's going on. This is a really a key time in the Gospel of John because after Jesus heals Lazarus, there's a real turning point in his ministry because now he's going to need to, basically he's going to the cross. He doesn't have a lot of public times now. He's going to be a lot uh, in, they call it the upper room discourse where he's with, the rest of the Gospel of John is the upper room discourse where Jesus is with his disciples privately because he's, the next time he's public, he's going to be arrested and crucified. So this is like one of the last things that he's going to do publicly. And why is that? In, in a verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 53, it says this, So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. It, that was the last straw. That is as far as they could be pushed. They said, okay, thus further, far and no further. They, they basically determined that this was it for him. That uh, raising Lazarus was it. They had to do something. They plotted to kill him. So let's read the passage and we're not going to deal with the whole story. We don't have time uh, this weekend. But I want to just kind of look at a few things and then we'll apply it. And we'll look at how it applies to our lives. So this is John chapter 11. I'm going to read it verse, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to be at page 820 of the chair Bible. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Martha and Mary. This is Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although he loved you might want to uh, underline this next phrase that I'm going to read. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where He was for the next two days. Finally, He said to His disciples, let's go back to Judea. So the question is, why the delay? <laughs> if He loves them so much, why doesn't He rush? You know, He could say, you know, he could be right there before Lazarus dies. He could save him from dying, but he doesn't. In fact, he doesn't save him from dying. He waits for him to die. That's the delay. Jesus is waiting for him to die. You go, what? 
Yeah, that's the point. He could have prevented the death, but instead, what does he do? He, he delays. He, and he's doing this to accomplish a few things. Here's, here's what he wants to accomplish. First, he's demonstrating uh, himself to be the resurrection and the life. And he's establishing faith not only in his disciples, because they're, they're following. In fact, they're, they're saying, is he dead? Is he dying? Should we go? Should we not? And so they're engaging in all this. They're dialoguing with him and all of this. But he, he's not only trying to raise the faith level in his disciples, but he's also establishing faith not, uh, in, uh, in Mary and Martha and Lazarus and some of the Jews. He, in other words, he wants them this to be a faith-growing experience for them. He doesn't want just to go and heal them. He wants them to grow. He wants them to understand who he is and why he came. Remember, that's what we said the whole Gospel of John is about. John says, many other signs truly to Jesus. But these signs are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, why does Jesus write these signs? Why does, or why does John put these signs in his Gospel? Because he wants us to believe. He wants us to know, number one, who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Okay, So that's what he wants Mary and Martha and Lazarus and his disciples and some of the Jews to know. They want him, he wants them to know who, they, who he is and why he came. Now, uh, Martha comes to Jesus and essentially what she says is, you're too late. You're too, hey, you know, have you ever thought that? Uh, have, you ever, have you ever thought, oh Jesus, you're too late? If you'd only been here a day sooner, if you'd only done this, if this... And, and we live with, sometimes with that regret. We wonder, we pray earnestly, we, we, we get on our face, we get on our knees, and we pray, and oh, it's too late. The doctor says, it's too late. It, it's too late, right? And that's what Martha said. It's too late. But you know what? Jesus is never late. He's always on time. The problem is our purposes and His are not always the same. And timing is everything. Timing is everything. Now, and, and that's where I began. I said, it's not a question. We, we don't question his power. We don't question his ability to heal. We don't question his ability to raise. That's not the issue. The issue is his timing. The issue is, does he have a plan? Because that's the problem. His plans don't often fit, fit into our plan. Our plans are different than his plans. And that's what he's doing here. What's amazing to me in this passage is when you read it, it says, Jesus delayed two days so that Lazarus would be good and dead. And then he went. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm waiting for him to die. I mean, the disciples just didn't get that. He said, no, if you love him, get there before he dies, right? Then they doesn't have to go through that. But Jesus said, no, I love them so much that I want them to go through this. Because they have to see something bigger than I'm a healer. So this is the, the key here that we need to see. The two-day delay was motivated by Jesus' love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They needed to see Jesus as more than just a miracle worker, more than just the life giver, but as the one who gives life itself, the one who is life. And that's what they needed to see. He wasn't just somebody who could heal. He was the one who was life, the one who gave life. And, and, and that's consistent all the way through the Gospel of John. When you read the Gospel of John, what do you see? You see that he not only gave bread, but he is the bread of life, right? He not only, uh, he doesn't just give water, he is the living water. He's not the one who, who only gives life, he is life himself. And that's what John wants to see. John wants to see past the miracles to the person. He wants us to see what's going on there. So uh, here's a couple of things we can think about as far as application. 
don't be angry with Jesus because you're suffering. Sometimes it's easy to do that, isn't it? Because you pray for Him and you pray for healing, or you're praying for someone else and you're praying for their healing, you're praying that God would uh, heal them, and maybe you go to people who can heal and they can't heal, and uh, they say it's your faith, your lack of faith, whatever. But don't be mad with Jesus and don't be angry with Him because of your suffering. Uh, Suffering in our world is alive and well, isn't it? There's a lot of suffering going on. Uh, some, is, some of it's self-inflicted, but a lot of it is, uh, is just uh, part of living in a, in a fallen world. And it's easy in the middle of suffering to question God, to become angry with Jesus. Um, but Jesus didn't save Martha, Mary, and Lazarus from suffering because he had a bitter, bigger purpose. Now, let's stop for a minute and remember, these are not just people he's never met before. These are his dear Friend, you would say if there is anyone that Jesus would want to spare from suffering, it would be his friends. But he's allowing them to go through suffering. He's allowing them to fear to experience grief and suffering full on. He's doing that because there's a bigger purpose he wants them to learn. Now, if Jesus would allow his good friends way back then when he walked on this earth to go through that, doesn't it make a whole lot of sense that God is going to allow us? to go through suffering because he's got a bigger purpose behind it. Now, we may not like it, we may not want it, but essentially what, what, what we have here is we have Jesus showing us that suffering has a higher purpose and that there's a lesson that we can learn through our suffering. Um, here's the other thing we see about that, though, is that he entered into our suffering. He suffered uh, for you so that one day you would, you would, uh, your suffering would finally end. His suffering will bring an end to our suffering. And that's really important to see. That just as Lazarus and Mary and Martha suffered, and just as we suffer, Jesus suffered the ultimate suffering, the eternal suffering, so that we would not suffer anymore. And, and He's going to put an end to suffering. Jesus joined us in our suffering. You know, here's the thing. We always want to know why, right? Don't we ask the question, why? What did I, did I do something? Uh, it, you know, is God punishing me? Why, God? Why? You know, I'm trying to live a good life. Why now? Why this? And uh, here's the thing. It's one, it's one thing to say we may never know the reason for our suffering, but here's one thing we absolutely do know. And this is why this passage is so important to us as far as suffering. And maybe you have a friend or a neighbor or a family member that's going through suffering right now and they're struggling. They're trying to understand. I prayed. I've, I've really asked God to heal me and He hasn't healed me. I'm going through this suffering. I'm going through this difficult thing. Uh, why is He God allowing that to happen? Why, why, if God loves me, why wouldn't He just heal me? And I'm sure Mary and Martha thought the same thing about their, their, their brother Lazarus and Jesus' good friend. In fact, notice what Jesus, Mary and Martha say. Martha says, your dear friend, your dear friend, the one whom you love is suffering. Now, we may not know why, but here's one thing we do know. We are not suffering because He doesn't care and because He doesn't love us. That's not why we're suffering. Isn't that true? Because if that were the case, then why would He enter in our suffering? See, one, one of the things that suffering doesn't tell you is it doesn't say God doesn't care and God doesn't love you. Because what did God do? He did the most loving thing He could possibly do. He entered into this world and He suffered to the point of death. And that is the 
ultimate ex- demonstration of his love and concern and care for you and me. He entered in. So the one thing you can never say, I may not, you may be able to say, I don't understand why, but you can never say, I don't believe he loves me. You can't say that because he came and he entered into our suffering. And not just he suffered, but he put an end to suffering. So that's, that's the one thing. So let's jump back to the text. Let's jump down to verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Your timing stinks. Now, she's not saying that, and that's not her attitude. But essentially, that's kind of what she's thinking. If, 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 right? If only, if only. But even now, this is where her faith, notice she is a woman of faith. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask, Jesus told her. Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the, at the last day, Jesus told her. Notice, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Notice her confession here. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world from God. (coughs) Now, that's quite a statement that Martha has made here. She is definitely and completely a woman of faith, even in the midst of suffering. She is losing, she lost her, her brother, her dearly loved brother, and even in the midst of that, she is walking in faith in the midst of suffering. And you know what? That's not an impossibility to do. It's a hard thing to do. And she's doing it right here and now. Now, Jesus has a number of these I am statements in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John. And, and here they are. He says, I am the bread of life. We looked at that. He says, I am the light of the world. He, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's the passage we just read. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the love, life. John uh, 14, 6. And then he says, I am the true vine. <coughs> now I want to make a few observations here on the, this passage. The first one is this. We, we will find faith in Him when we trust in Him. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, only God can give life and take it away. Notice, he doesn't merely say, you know, I can revive him. <laughs> um, I have a, a special access to the divine supernatural power. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, I am the giver and sustainer of life. He's not saying, I know somebody who can heal. I am a healer. He's not saying that. He's saying, I am the one who brings life and I am the one that sustains life. That's what he's saying here. It's a very powerful thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying to Martha and us, if you trust in him, him, even if you die as Lazarus did, you will live. Jesus will raise you from death on the last day. What he did for Lazarus foreshadows and illustrates what he will do for you on the resurrection day. And that's the point that uh, Lazarus is really a mini illustration of what will take place for everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. On that resurrection day, just as Lazarus was called out of the tomb, 
uh, we will be called. The dead in Christ shall be raised first, and then we who are alive will be caught up together in the Lord, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will, be trans- we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will live forever. And that's the promise we have. That's, that's what Jesus was saying to, to uh, Mary and Martha. He wasn't saying, okay, I could have healed him and I should have gotten here sooner. Uh, oh, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, I could still bring him back to life. He didn't want... See, here's the point. He didn't just want to raise Lazarus so that one day Lazarus would die again. And that would be the end of it. I have a, I have a friend who's a missionary. Uh, in, well, he's not anymore because he can't... They can't, uh, they, it's not safe for them in West Africa. But they had a living water project, and basically what they would do is they would provide an acre of land and water for Bedouin uh, people, and the tribes would camp around the living water project, and they would grow crops. And basically it was a way for them to live and sustain life. So they would get an acre of land, they would get seeds, they were able to... Uh, bury containers under the desert and keep them cool and they could either sell their crops or they could eat them as for the family so it provided them with food and when i was talking to rich one time about this whole project he says our job our role is not just to keep people alive they would have a pastor who would walk around to the different farmers and help them and share the gospel with them. And his point was this. I may extend their life. I may help to extend their life and their family's life for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, but ultimately one day they're going to die. My goal is that one day they will live. You see, and that's what Jesus is essentially saying to Mary and Martha. I could raise, your, I could raise my, my dear friend and your brother today. But one day he's going to die. And the question is, where will he live forever? That's the point that Jesus wants not only Mary and Martha and Lazarus to see, that he's not just a healer, he's the one that gives eternal life, but he wants his disciples to see, and he wants the Jews around him to see, and he wants us to see that this is eternal life. That's the whole point. And that's why John wrote that gospel. So we find life in him when we trust in Him. And what Martha is doing here is she's trusting in Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, I know that even though my, my brother's dead, one day he will live forever. I get that. And Jesus is saying, well, the good news is he's going to live a little bit longer on this earth. And then he's going to die again. And then he's going to really live. Right? Secondly, we could trust in Him in spite of our circumstances. Martha's faith is a rich mixture of personal trust and confidence in Jesus. Even though things don't turn out as she hopes, she believes that He is the Messiah sent from God, the Savior, the One who gives life to dead ones. And and that's really important. Because here's the thing. We are people, uh, a lot of us are people, (coughs) that when things don't go our way, when our prayers aren't answered, we begin to question God. We begin to question His love and His mercy and whether He really cares for us and He really loves us. 
And, and here's the thing. His love never wavers. Our faith may waver, but His love never wavers. It's not a question of that. The question is, how will Jesus bring life back to the dead? How will Jesus bring life to the dead? Well, we know how. He, he will give His life so that we can have life. Now, when you really care about somebody, you have to sacrifice, don't you? If you really love somebody, you're going to need to sacrifice something. You need to give up something, don't you? Um, let me speak to the parents for a minute. Have you made sacrifices for your children over the years? If you're a new parent, buckle up. Because you will, and you will sacrifice mucho grande. Okay? So, it is. And why do you do it? Because you love your kids, right? And it's great that God makes them so cute and innocent when they're born, because if it weren't for that, you know, it might not work out so well. But it does, because they're cute, and they're helpless, and they can't give anything, and they can't go get a job and pay the bills. And, and so you sacrifice for them. And why do you do that? Because you love them. Most of you would do anything for your kids, right? You would. You would do anything for your kids, because you love them so much, Right? Some of you are in a, you're a little older. Your kids are moving out of the house. Maybe they're all gone. You're empty nesters. And now there's another kind of love. You're starting to look after your elderly parents because they're not able to take care of themselves. And you, 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 you say, ha, they took care of me. They loved me. They sacrificed for me. They gave up for me. Now it's my time to give up for them. It's time, my time to sacrifice for them, right? And so love always consists of giving up and sacrificing. True love has to. It's, it's an active thing. And Jesus is the ultimate example of costly love demonstrated. And He demonstrated it in suffering and sacrifice. John put it this way, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. So we may question why, but we can never question His love. His love is always sacrificial. It's always giving. He never stops loving and He never stops giving for us. This is the next thing. His resurrection takes the fear out of death. Generally, we fear death because we're not sure if it... Here's... You know, when I think of the fear of death, I don't think most people are thinking, I'm afraid because... Well, some people are. I'm afraid that I'll die a fiery crash or something, or I'll die in a horrible way or something. I get that. But there's another fear of death that I don't think we often talk about, but it's really, it drives our lives more out of than, than this first one. And that's this one here. It's the fear that we're not really sure that the next life will be better than this one. Now, we, we think it's true. We think heaven's going to be good. But, I mean, let's be honest. If I were to pull you aside and say, describe for me why you're excited about heaven, most of you would go, well, 
Yeah. Because you, you say, well, I don't really know what it's like, but I know it's going to be great. It's like the cheerleader that really doesn't know what you're cheering for, right? I think that many people are afraid of death because they're afraid they're going to miss out on something here. Right? If I were to say, if you were to die today, would you, like, would you be willing to go? No, I don't know if I'd be willing to go. Why? Oh, there's stuff that I have never done. I've never walked my daughter down the aisle. I, I've never you know, experienced grandchildren. I've never been married. I've never, you know, there's all these things. And essentially, what are, they, what are people saying? And we all say it. We all think that way. If you're honest, I think that's true. What are we saying? We're saying, I think that I really want to experience stuff here because I don't, I'm not confident that heaven is that good. Many people are concerned about getting everything in because they don't want to miss out on anything. You remember the movie a few years ago, well, it was a number of years ago, called The Bucket List. And, and, and I get that. I get that. I get that with people who, you know, make a wish and all that. I think that's a great thing. And that's not what I'm speaking against. But people basically say, I've got to do this before, before I leave this earth because I think if I don't get it now, I, I'm going to miss out on something really incredibly great. So if I were to ask you the question, if I die, I'll miss out on, what would you fill the blank in with? What is it that you say, well, I just don't want to miss that. So I don't want to die. Do you know what heaven means? Heaven means you won't miss anything. You won't, can I say it one more time? Heaven means you won't miss anything. There's nothing here that you will miss in heaven. And I don't mean, understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying this is in a beautiful world and there's incredible things going on in this world. But what I'm saying is that if your fear of death is that you're going to miss something that's better than anything you'll experience in heaven, you're not understanding heaven. Your best experiences here on earth will pale to the average day in heaven. You will not miss out on anything in heaven. People who fear death imagine they're missing something um, some of the best things forever. Instead, those who trust in Jesus and those who believe in heaven believe the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? Do you believe the best is yet to come? Or do you believe, oh, I better get my living in now because I'm not really sure what, 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 what waits me on the other side? See, the promise of Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be also. There's a continuity between this life and the next life. There's a physical life. There's a spiritual, physical dimension to this life and to the next life. That, that, we're, that compared to heaven, we're living in a coma right now. But we don't believe that because we're, you know, it's our coma, right? It's our life. And what I mean is compared to what, what we'll experience in heaven, it's going to, it's going to be, I, I believe heaven is going to be such a creative, is this world creative? Are there incredibly creative and fun and, and just very imaginative things to do in this world? Absolutely. Well, why wouldn't you expect heaven to be like vastly better than that? See, and that's the point. We, we limit heaven. 
Last point I want to make is this. We must stop spurning His love for us. As I said, love is costly, and if He's given His very life for us, what on earth could we ever withhold from Him? Let me ask you a question. Is your relationship to Jesus basically just dial Him up when you need Him? Is that your relationship with Him? When you're in a jam, you dial Him up. Is He your personal assistant? Is He your person to call on when you need, you need Him to do something or take care of something? If He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, if He's the one who created the heavens and the earth by a word, if He's the one who made us in His very image, if He's the one who left His throne, came to earth, died a horrible death, took our place on a cross, and gave His life so that we could live, how come and how can we keep spurning His love? Why do we keep Him at arm's length? Why do we put Him off and keep Him out? He gave everything to us. He deserves everything in return. And what better offer do you have? You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says these are the days of grace. These are the days of mercy. His mercies are new every day. But there's going to be a day where His grace and mercy is over. And judgment will come. And what Jesus was saying to Mary and Martha and to His disciples and to some of the Jews and to us is this. I'm not just the one who gives life. I am life. And if you believe in me and if you trust in me, you will not just live, but you will live forever. You won't just survive. You won't just eke it out. You will wake up from a coma and you will say, wow, this is amazing. That's the promise that Jesus has for those who believe in him and those who trust in him. And so when we think of the resurrection and the life, we think of the one who not just gives life, but gives is life. We understand that when we put our trust in Him, when we put our faith in Him, He has a plan and a purpose that might not always line up with ours. But that's, how, that's why we have confident hope. Because we know our hope isn't here on earth. Our hope is in heaven. Now we can have glimpses of hope. We can have glimpses of joy and glimpses of happiness here. And, and hopefully we'll have a lot of it. But let's be honest. This isn't where we're going to find our ultimate joy, our ultimate happiness, our ultimate hope. It's not here. It's not here on this earth. It's not in this life. And what Jesus was trying to say to Martha and Mary and and Lazarus is saying, I could heal you and we could just stay on the horizontal level. But let's go vertical for a minute. Let's talk about not just life that lasts for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Let's talk about life that lasts forever. Let's talk about abundant life. Let's talk about life that you would, you can't even find words to describe. And that's what Jesus was saying to Martha and Mary. I'm much bigger than your little world. And I don't fit into your timetable. I blow your timetable up. But you have to be okay with that because I'm God and you're not. But don't ever question my love. Don't ever question my commitment to you. Because if you ever want to know how much I love you, just remember that I hung on a cross for you. That I came from heaven to earth and I gave my life for you on a cross. So my commitment to you has never wavered. And if I delay and I don't answer your prayer, don't question my love. 
Because it's not because I don't love you. I have a plan and I have a purpose. And if you'll trust me, one day you'll understand it. You may not understand it now, but one day you'll understand it. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to be standing there one day looking back and saying, man, what a fool I was. Why didn't I just trust you? Right? May we have the faith of Martha that says, Lord, whatever happens, whether my brother lives or dies, I know one day he's going to live forever, and I trust you. I don't like this, and I don't understand this, but I trust you. And that's the faith we need to have. Because Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. I think the, I want to close with Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3. Because I think this is really what it comes down to as we, we try to comprehend the goodness and mercy of God. He says this, Ephesians 3.16, I pray from this, His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand all God's people should, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul basically says our biggest problem is this. We don't understand how much we are loved. But when we begin to understand how loved we are, we will begin to trust Him. And as we trust Him, we will find faith. And as we find faith, the trials and the circumstances of our lives will take on the perspective they need to have. So I don't know what you're struggling with today, and I don't know what you're, whether you're suffering or not, but all I could say to you is hang on and look for Jesus because He is in there. And it doesn't mean because you're going through suffering and you're going through pain and you're going through trials that He doesn't care and He doesn't love you. You may not understand it, but I will tell you this. The one thing you cannot say is He does not care because He does. And if you're not sure, look to the cross. And when you look to the cross, you'll see a Savior that cares so much that He entered into our suffering. And He died so the suffering one day, once and for all, would be put away. That's the hope that we have. To, that's the hope that we cling to. And that's the resurrection and the life that we'll be talking more about next weekend. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Jesus who is the resurrection and the life, who doesn't just give life, but is life. He is the one who died but rose again. And as He rose one day, we who have placed our faith and trust in You will rise and live forever. Father, I just pray that You take Your Word and encourage our hearts today. That we would understand that we are desperately loved by You that You would send Your only begotten Son and that Jesus would willingly come and give His very life. Greater love is no one in this. They would lay down their life for His friend. And that's what Jesus did. 
Father, we may never understand the timing of the events, the tragedies and the trials that we that come into our lives. <coughs> but we do trust that you love us, that you have a plan. And help us, Father, to be like Mary, and specifically Martha, who said, Lord, whatever happens, I do know this. I trust you. So may our faith and trust be placed squarely in you so that when we go through trials, tribulations, we will find a secure anchor for our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.